Please pray with me. Spirit of the living God, speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak through us. Spirit of the living God, speak in spite of us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen. It was December 2019, and my best friend and I and his wife and my wife had a small tradition we were developing. We would pick three words for the new year. Three words that would serve as a guiding post. Now, just a note about why three words. There was an author we were following, and he had tried 10 words, eight words, seven words, one word, two words, for whatever reason, when he picked three words through trial and error, they seemed to be a better, more effective way of putting out themes, guideposts for his life. So trusting this author, we decided the same. And we all went around picking our three words. I won't tell you all three of my words, but I will tell you one of them it was praise. This was on December 28th, which also coincides with my best friend's birthday. And we started talking about what these three words meant to us. And for me, it meant, you know, I seem to just be judgmental about so many things. Judgmental about what the church could be, judgmental about what I could be, judgmental about my wife and my family and my community and my neighbors. I had a list of critiques and all the ways the world could be better if only they all changed. I wanted to be better. I said, I don't want to be stuck in the criticism and the negativity. I want to praise more. Now, I have a confession. This was quite a challenge for me because it doesn't quite flow naturally for me. I don't know. Maybe it does for you. I grew up in a loving home. It was an exciting home. Like any home, there are, of course, challenges, things that could have been different, things that could have been better. But I just remember my parents expected a lot. And I appreciated then, and I appreciate now, their high expectations of me. It drove me to achieve. It drove me to try to be the best. It drove me to get good grades and play well in sports, to, to be more holistic and take up acting and art and languages and culture in all sorts of ways. It really did drive me really well. But recently we had this conversation in our young parents group. We were reading a book called Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles for Parenting. And we sort of wondered how do we push our own children to excel without making excellence an idol, without making perfectionism all that there is as a way of life, without tripping them up and uh, distracting them from the ultimate goal, which is, of course, to follow in the way of Jesus and to give glory to God. How do we do that and at the same time still expect much of them? 
Now, my father and mother weren't easy ones to please. Certainly, my father was not. I remember a time scoring a goal on the soccer field, and I've probably shared this before, and I was elated. We won. I scored the winning goal that took us to the playoff tournament. And my father, right after the game, after I'm, 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 you know, I'm high, I'm elated by all this, he goes, that was a pretty ugly goal. Now, before you go, oh, it really was an ugly goal. I got to say, I had no idea the ball was coming to me. I turned, I kicked, and ended up on the ground, and somehow that thing went in the net. Now, my mother, by contrast, would be on the soccer field. We'd lose the game, and she said, you were amazing. And I'd say, Mom, I didn't even play. I, never, I got benched in that game. And she'd be like, oh, whatever, you're amazing, right? The balance of how do we praise? How do we offer good feedback and good critique? How do we do that in a way that's true and authentic, that's not dishonest and doesn't mislead? Some of the best papers I ever received weren't my A papers that had no comments. It, were the pap- it was the papers that were B minus. Uh, you could have done this. You could have shifted that. Why'd you use this word so much? I wish you would have developed this more. It was the feedback that was far more helpful than just an excellent grade. And of course, you can look back in memory and those teachers who made a difference in your life. Were they the teachers that just simply always thought you were amazing, you could do no wrong? Or were they the teachers that everyone went, oh, you got Mrs. Harris? Oh no, you have Mr. Smith? They were the teachers who pushed you, who challenged you, who always wanted more than you could offer because they believed in you. You see, I look back at those teachers and I'm grateful for them because they did not give me cheap praise. They challenged me because they believed in me. So how do we balance all of this and look at praise in a far deeper way? Today's text is interesting because it might get lost on us. We're not used to perhaps so much praise language. Psalm 148 opens with the word we use as hallelujah, meaning God be praised. God be praised. And Psalm 148 also ends with the same word, hallelujah, God be praised be praised. It's in command form. It's an imperative of the verb hallel to praise. And of course, God's name of Yahweh, as we believe it's pronounced shorthand for the personal name of God. So to put it as my wife's family might in in Southern terms, y'all praise Yahweh. Y'all better praise And so we find in the book of Psalms is a book of praise, interestingly. In Hebrew, it's known as the tehillim, meaning praises. In fact, we find seven different words for praise, how to worship, how to acknowledge, how to render worship to the Lord. But interestingly, we might be misled into thinking that praise is just that cheap praise I was discussing just a moment ago where someone isn't really telling you the truth. 
or perhaps put another way, depending on your temperament, it might be blind optimism. I'm going to quote a really old movie here. Uh, Some of you might not remember it, but Top Gun, okay, was satirized by a movie called Hot Shots. You guys remember Hot Shots? Okay. Hilarious film, okay? And in the movie, his best friend, like in Top Gun, is the blind optimist. I'm going to be fine. It's going to be great. And of course, he, he, uh, the, the plane explodes. He jumps off. He's like, I'm going to be great. He's going to the hospital room. Everything's going to be great. And he's in the grave. And the scene is supposed to tell us, like, these blind optimists don't get the reality of the world. Blind optimists don't really see the complexity. See, you might think in reading the Psalms in general that there's too much praise language in here. This psalmist doesn't really know what, what he's talking about. What, what, what is all this praise? Doesn't he know life is hard? But you would not have seen the whole picture or the whole message. You see, Psalm, the Psalms mostly comprise some form of lament. One third of the book at least is exactly that. It's just lament. And then even some of the praise Psalms talk about the challenges, the threats, and what's hard, the sadness. In fact, the best way to read the Psalms is more like reading someone's journal entries than they are simply reading a hymnal. These are psalms of pain and anger. They're psalms that sometimes even feel a little uncomfortable with their call for revenge. God, avenge those who are my enemies. The psalms are raw human emotion. They express the totality of our life experience. Do not for a moment think that the Psalms are some superficial, blind optimism and cheap praise. They are told by people who've probably suffered like none of us in this place, or maybe only some of us. We're talking about people who've been surrounded by armies, actual armies, not those people we think are our enemies. These are people surrounded at the gates. Their cities might fall. These are people who know hunger. These are people who know houselessness. These are people who know what it is to be a refugee. How many people do you actually know like that? There are some of us who have suffered, sure, but do not think for a moment that the Psalms are cheap praise, blind optimism in the face of all that is cruel and hard and dangerous in the world. They are a defiant cry of gratitude in a world gone wrong. The psalmists know about suffering. They know about the depths of suffering and anger and sadness. They know it in ways that only the ancient world would and could. And yet, there is a defiant cry of gratitude littered throughout the Psalms. Now, we're starting to get closer to what Psalm 148 is saying. And why it's so powerful that these last five psalms of the whole of the book of psalms end in praise. Just this psalm, as I mentioned, begins with hallelujah and ends with hallelujah. So what is 
praise. I've hinted it at it a bit. Surely at its core is gratitude. Meister Eckhart writes, if the only prayer we ever say is thank you, that would be enough. At the core of praise is gratitude. It's an overflow. It's an audible expression of gratitude in spite of. It's an overwhelming, overflowing expression of gratitude audibly expressed in spite of what we might be experiencing and seeing and feeling. So what else is praise? At its core is gratitude. Sure, that word praise is related to a Latin word where we get the word price and prize. That's why we appraise our jewelry and our art for insurance purposes. We have an appraisal of our home. We determine the value of something. We set a price that tells us about its value. To praise something or someone or some place is to see its value. It's to know it intimately and to audibly express a gratitude for it. Now, for some of us, it comes more easily than others. And that's why today, whether you're the natural optimist or you're the natural pessimist, first of all, you should know good news, you're both loved. Tell the person next to you, you're both loved. I don't know which one you are. I'm not making any judgment claims. You're both loved, but here's the thing. If you're just an optimist all the time, I want you to try to understand more about the suffering of others. I want you to understand more about the suffering in our world. If you're already an optimist, don't tell me, oh, I don't read the news. Now nah, it's too much. It's too much. It, it, would, it would ruin my zen. It would ruin my zen, my equilibrium. No, 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 that's not for me. Then I want you to get in touch with the suffering of others. I want you to get in touch with the suffering of others. And there are ways to do that. Trust me, I'm the pastor for Outreach and Mission. I can connect you with tons of opportunities for you to be in touch with the suffering of others. Amy Davis, our chair for Outreach and Mission, and Carol Pearl, our future chair for Outreach and Mission, can connect you with opportunities for you to engage with the suffering of others. But if you're a pessimist, what I want to challenge you to do is to see and notice the good, the good even in terrible circumstances, whatever that good is. I'm not trying to tell you to make up a story and say, well, this bad thing and I'm going to have to make up this bad theology. No, 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 no. I'm saying even it's because my friends showed up when I was at my lowest. Just that friendship is good and it's worth worth praising. Find something good about the world. You see, this is interesting. This is a C.S. Lewis quote that he has about praise, and, and he has many, but I wanted to share this with you. He writes in his Reflections on the Psalms, I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capacious minds praised most, while the cranks and malcontents and malcontents praised least. The good critics found something to praise in many imperfect works. 
The bad ones continually narrowed the list of books we might be allowed to read. The healthy and unaffected man, even if luxuriously brought up and widely experienced in good cookery, could praise a very modest meal. The dyspeptic and the snob found fault with all. Except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. Our circumstances can change. The world as we see it, as the psalmist see it, as Job sees it, as the the teacher in Ecclesiastes sees it, as Jesus himself saw it, as the apostles who came after saw it, the world can be hard and tragic and a terrible place. But do not be afraid, for I am with you, says the Lord. And sometimes that is enough. We can find something to praise if we're a pessimist, or we can be in better touch with the suffering of others and still give thanks even if we're the optimists. That is our challenge, to find true and ultimate value. Why? Why do we do this? Here's uh, Eugene Peterson, and he's commenting on Psalm 150, actually. But I thought what he said here about praise was really powerful. This is not a word of praise slapped onto whatever mess we are in at the moment. This crafted conclusion of the Psalms tell us that our prayers are going to end in praise, but that is also going to take a while. Don't rush it. It may take years, decades even, before certain prayers arrive at the hallelujahs. Not every prayer is capped off with praise. In fact, most prayers, if the Psalter is a true guide, are not. But prayer, a praying life, finally becomes praise. Prayer is always reaching towards praise and will finally arrive there if we persist in prayer, laugh and cry, doubt and believe, struggle and dance and then struggle again, we will surely end up at the encore on our feet, applauding. Prayer leads to praise. I had a professor, Professor Van Hoisteen, He was a theological anthropologist, if you even knew that ever existed. And I remember him talking about human beings, what sets them apart from other animals, and it was that they were the praying animal. They were the animal that were meaning makers, and they developed rituals to remember and tell the story of the world and of ourselves and beyond. But if I may, with his permission, Professor Hoistein, who has long passed away, and may he rest in peace, I would add to that we are the praising animal. We are the ones that, like the word praise suggests, we see value, we can set prices, we can appraise the world around us. Imagine if for 2024 we did just that. Imagine if for 2024, when we were driving through some of the rough parts of Detroit or Pontiac, we didn't just see neighborhoods that had fallen apart and buildings that were empty and destroyed. We didn't just see bombed out sections. Instead, we saw what God sees. God sees life. Life in abundance, life crying out, life crying out in gratitude, in defiant gratitude. 
What if we could see love? What if we could see kindness? What if we could see all the possibilities that could exist in those neighborhoods? We wouldn't just see poverty anymore. We wouldn't just see those in need. We wouldn't just see those who are struggling. We would see people made in the image of God, loved and worthy of being served and also capable of serving us perhaps in a different way. Serving us in the way of Christ and reminding us that no matter how much we have, we have nothing if we have not love. Imagine what it would look like if in 2024 you went to your families, broken as they may be, tense, divided, perhaps not ideal, especially around the holidays when we wish families would look just so and the events would go just so and we would do all the things that bring us joy, but then it goes awry. What we've planned goes not as expected. What if in 2024 we didn't see our families as broken systems, as as divided people, but instead we saw in them the image of God and we saw God who is redeeming. We don't know when, as Eugene Peterson says, it may take years and decades, but there is one who has promised to heal us to heal the divisions, to heal the brokenness? What if in 2024, whether it's your career, whether it's in your own neighborhood, your friendships, whatever you endeavor to do in 2024, what if it would begin and end with praise? That was my word in 2019, just two and a half months before the pandemic. How did I do? Not great. But I tell you, praise gives you perspective. Praise says that all that is going wrong isn't all there is. That tragedy isn't the end of the story. That death is not the end of the story. We were listening to a podcast just the other day with my wife. And in that podcast, it featured Father Gregory Boyle, somebody we had invited to be a part of our outreach and mission conference, and it didn't work out. But he was being interviewed on this podcast, and he talks about a boy named Chico. Chico had been a gangster most of his life. Chico had done many, many bad things. He was being interviewed, Father Boyle was being interviewed about the carol, Oh Holy Night, and how the soul felt its worth. He was reflecting on that line, and he said, you know, That line just speaks to me because it helped me see Chico differently. Where everyone else saw a gangster, someone whose life was over, I saw someone made in the image of God. Chico was gunned down in front of his house. Father Boyle went to visit him and Father Boyle describes in the interview that he had buried eight people over the course of three weeks. Eight kids, basically the course of three weeks because of gang violence. He goes to Chico, the open casket, and he remembers crying and saying he was a terrific kid. The funeral home director turned around a bit surprised. Him? Father, he was a gangster. 
almost as if to say he had what was coming to him. Father Boyle said, no, he was, he was a terrific kid. Before he died, he learned something that prison walls can't keep in, that bullets can't pierce, and that death can never touch. He learned how loved he was in Christ Jesus. And he was a terrific kid. What would it look like for us not to heap cheap praise, lie about our staff, our co-workers, our employees, our family members, our friends, our neighborhoods, not make up that they are in fact better than they are, but to truly believe that in Jesus Christ, we will be made whole and delivered and rescued and redeemed and healed and saved and free at last. I pray that for 2024, for our church, for our community, for your own life, and for all those connected to you, that your life might begin and end in praise. For in Jesus Christ, God has drawn near and offers us a love beyond our wildest imagination and a love that can truly redeem us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.